Welcome to the Love on the Go podcast, brought to you by Carolina's Matchmaker. I'm Lori Burzak, and for over 17 years, I've been helping singles find the relationship of their dreams all over the Carolinas. Along the journey, I've met so many amazing professionals and experts from various fields, and I'm excited to introduce them to you. What's my goal? I want to help you look at love and relationships in a new way and to grow in your understanding of how love works. Let's learn together how people have overcome personal obstacles and have found love first and foremost with themselves. The ultimate goal is realizing that you are worthy and deserving of love. Let's get started. Well, today we have, (laughs) we've got Nina Lorez Collins with us today who um, is incredible. She's a writer, an entrepreneur, founder of The Wolfer, which is an online platform for like-minded women over 40, which then morphed into uh, the Rebel group, um, Hello Rebel. And she'll tell you all about that. But I, I found out about her originally because I joined her original group, What Would Virginia Wolf Do?, which is like a closed Facebook group that started in 2015. And she also wrote a book out of that, um, which was called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? And other questions I asked myself as I attempt to age without apology, which was published in 2018. So Nina, I I think you're such an interesting dynamic woman. You've really... uh, you've started a, a, a revolution, you know, essentially <laughs> you've started a movement and um, yeah. And it's something that was really not done before you. And so I want to say welcome. Um, and I just kind of wanted to ask you, tell us more about what prompted you to start this and um, yeah. How, how did it all flow? Very sweet of you. It, you know, it's funny, right? In life, like the further you get away from something, your perspective about it changes. And I think um, it just really is a classic situation where sometimes there's really a need, like you have a need. And so you create something to solve a problem. Mm. And of course, lots of other people have the same problem. And um, I often say this whole thing has been like, I am kind of a serial entrepreneur. I had companies when I was younger in book publishing Mm -hmm. and um, when I started this, I was in my mid forties and I was not trying to start a business at all. Start, I couldn't sleep. Basically I was like 46 and I was suffering from symptoms of perimenopause and I didn't mm. at first know what they were. And I was having trouble sleeping and I was having other physical issues. And I created a Facebook group to talk about it. And I kind of, I was also having kind of psychological, I was feeling a little bit depressed. My kids were, I was like on the verge of the empty nest. I was feeling a little bit, um, you know, kind of having an existential crisis, I suppose. I was like 46, I was kind of like, what's next? And so I created a group really to talk about aging. And the way I always describe it was kind of to talk about the the highs and the lows, like the indignities of aging as a woman in our society, but in a funny, self-deprecating way. And then it became very popular and unexpectedly really struck a chord and has, you know, grown and grown and morphed into all these different things. And I think it's just because I was feeling something that we all feel, right? We right. all feel and want to be able to talk about it and didn't really feel like we had permission in our culture to talk about aging because it's easier for men and Um, There's more shame for it for women. Um, And I do think that that's changing. I hope that's changing. Why do you think it's easier for men in our society age than for women? Well, 
I, I mean, I think at its core, men have a lot of the same issues we do, right? But they're not mm-hmm. perceived to be shameful. Like men are perceived to be sexier as they age than women. Mm-hmm. And men, I think, are often on a straighter trajectory career-wise. Like they mm-hmm. kind of keep going. Women, I mean, lots of us in our culture, men and women now have lots of different career paths. Like that's become more common. Mm-hmm. But for women, it's much more, com- we get interrupted by child bearing often. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we're used to a little bit more stopping and starting. Um, mm-hmm. But for men, there's just much more of a, of, a, of a clear trajectory in a lot of ways. I do think they suffer emotionally and physically, right? They lose testosterone the same way we lose estrogen. Um, but they also, you know, have Viagra, like they have answers that have been given to them much more easily than, than we have, right? The whole menopause, how to tackle the health issues around menopause, is only just starting to really be something we're talking about honestly in our culture. Um, in part, I think, because of groups like Virginia Woolf, luckily. Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think it's been as um, the world is not as generous to aging women as it is to men. Yeah, and you've said it before that women have suffered privately and in shame and in fear of being irre- irrelevant, and that Gen Xers are kind of the first ones to speak up about yeah, a lot of these I issues know. that have to do with aging. Yay, Gen X. Our generation, I know, it's really it. great. I, and I, so I really do think like when I started that group, it's not like I was doing something. I, I think our generation was kind of the first to say like, we're not gonna do this silently. Like, why should we? Why should we feel bad about aging? Like, that's crazy. We need answers. And we often as women get answers from each other um, first and maybe even foremost. So that's what we did. Perfect. And you obviously I'm a professional matchmaker and relationship coach. So I want to talk about dating in our society. What do you think is the number one issue that women, let's say over 40, over 50 are facing right now with, with dating? Well, I mean, there's so many issues. I, I'm preoccupied right now with this whole living apart together thing. So I'm preoccupied mm. with this issue that, I mean, look, lots of, lots of us want partners. Lots of us have been divorced or widowed. We have a lot right. of experience. I mean, there, there, there are all sorts of issues, right? There are issues of men wanting younger women. They're kind of the mm-hmm. obvious issues of like, you go online and women feel like men are looking at least 10 or 15 years younger. And then a lot of women I know don't want to date. You know, if you're a 60 year old woman, like I'm 52, but if you're mm-hmm. saying you're a 50 year old woman or a 60 year old woman, you may not really want to date men in their seventies. And you may feel like that's exactly have to do because they're the ones who are looking at your demographics. So that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Although on the other hand, I know lots of women who date much younger and very successful. Yeah. So I try and tell women some of these things, they're cliches or myths. Sure. There's a reason behind them, but there are always lots of exceptions. Look at Cindy Gallup who only dates young men, or right. I was actually, I've been reading Middlemarch this summer and George Elliott, you know, who was a woman, um, married at the end of her life in like 1880 she married a man 20 years younger than she was like lots of younger men are interested in older women Mm -hmm. um but so okay so one of the like the myths that scare people is you know only men my age only want younger women Mm -hmm. um i think another problem that's really real for women our age dating is that there's a lot of erectile dysfunction out there i hear Mm -hmm. i hear from a lot of women that you know i don't know it's hard to I don't know how crass I can be, but it's not always easy to find men who are sexually functioning and willing to talk about it or able to deal with it. So that's a problem mm-hmm. people don't talk about. Then we have our own health issues, of course. There's like libido issues or vaginal dryness, although there are lots of solutions for those things if one you know, sees a doctor. 
I could go on and on about this, about all the problems of dating. Um, yeah. I mean, luckily yeah. now there are people like you, there are a lot, you know, I think a lot of women have a lot of fear about online dating and there used to be a lot of stigma about it. Mm-hmm. I think luckily that stigma is going away. I think even the most conservative people now, like I was surprised. I met my current boyfriend on match.com and he's quite traditional. Uh-huh. And I think he's someone who has like a lot of privacy. You know, it used to be 10 years ago, there were a lot of people who just wouldn't go online. Like they thought it totally. was or stupid. And he's one of those people who I'm sure had scorned for it at some point and right. you know, then embraced it like everyone does. So, um, so, but I think a lot of people are just afraid of dealing with the rejection and the, sure. and it is hard. It's not easy online dating, right? So mm-hmm. I think people need, it's great that it has kind of come about that there are a lot of like coaches and services and group coaching yes. help people with online dating because people need to get over. I hear so many women say like, oh, it's just not me. I just can't do that. And I want to say like, you can and you should and you need to because that's how people meet people these days. That's right. And women say, oh, there aren't any good men online dating. Well, yeah. I, completely incorrect, but Absolutely. it's like, don't throw away the baby with the bathwater. Absolutely. And, I tell people yeah. all the time, like there are men getting divorced and widowed every single day. Yeah, there are plenty of, plenty of men out there. There are. Um, I mean, it is not hard to find a man if you want to find a man. I promise. No, absolutely um, but, not. And when I get people online dating, because you know, I have my three month program. We talked about that on, yeah. on your podcast for the rebel. And um, I think that when somebody hires a professional coach and matchmaker to help them with online dating, there's the support that they get from that professional is really integral to their success. Yeah. And no. it creates like that emotion, that emotional piece is, it, it becomes a little bit removed when you have that support. And so people don't get too focused on one person or another. And, you know, I run background checks and the whole thing so that people feel safer with online dating and I help them create like a really wonderful profile. Cause obviously best foot forward. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I think really key. I mean, I've never used a coach for online dating and I haven't done it now in a few years, but I can really see how it would help a lot. I read a book recently um, called Speaking in Thumbs by a woman Mm -hmm. named Amy Weisberg. I think her name is, and it's a Mm -hmm. book by, it's really cool. Actually, she's a, she used to be the chief psychiatrist for Facebook. Mm -hmm. And then she started a telehealth company called Brightside, but she's written this book about how to interpret texts in relationships. Yeah. I read about her. Yeah, she's really good. Mm-hmm. And I think there, and she points out in the book, and I could see this with any therapist, therapists now are constantly, people come into their office or they're on Zoom and they want people to like interpret text, right? Totally. So having a coach who's helping you deal with just like the back and forth of online dating and interpreting the communication and telling you how to respond for a lot of people, I think that would just be golden, you know, because there's just a lot of nervousness about it, understandably. Yeah, exactly. And what do you think? Because I as part of your, your online platform with the Wolfer and whatnot and the Revel, what are the mistakes that women over 50 are making when looking for a partner or dating in general? I mean, so many mistakes. I guess the number one mistake I hear about all the time is, you know, when women, people get into this thing of constantly texting with someone, going back Mm -hmm. and forth, messaging with someone, Mm -hmm. typically like those people who will never make a date, they're married or they're fishing you or whatever. So 
that's a huge mistake. Like basically you have to have a couple interactions and then you meet, you have coffee, you have a glass of wine, you meet somewhere in person. If they can't meet, then you just write them off. Um, different people have different philosophies about that. Like, you know, whether you should have coffee or whether you should have a glass of, you know, some people feel like if you have a glass of wine, I used to sometimes feel like if I'd meet people for a drink, I'd be more inclined to forgive red flags because I right. had a glass of wine <laughs> and that it might be better to just have coffee. So right. or go like, for a walk or, or do something a active. Walk. A right? walk is a great yeah, idea. hundred um, percent. Yeah, because having coffee can be a little sterile. You know, sometimes people go through these phases where they're like, I'm going to make six coffee dates a day. Right, and right, it right. Feel a little, um, you know, machine-like. What um, about like outside of online dating? Because obviously, you know, I know what the mistakes that people are making with online dating, but what about the mistakes that women are making outside of that in terms of how they're looking at themselves or assumptions that they're making? Have you seen any of that in, in your, you know, with your platform? Yeah, well, let's see. I'm trying to, I mean, there's so many. I'm trying to think. I mean, God, there's so many pitfalls we all fall into, right? There are issues around money. I mean, I'm thinking about yeah. women, like thinking through, like one of my rules when I was dating was he has to, it was, it was a really low bar. I have to say I got, I, I increased it over time and I feel mm -hmm. like I'm doing much better now. But I remember when I was first divorced, like it's so confusing and you want to date anyone who seems like attractive and interested in you. And then I started to realize, mm -hmm. oh my God, he has to have health insurance. <laughs> he can't have small children. Like you have yeah. to really think through on the one hand, you don't want to have too many rules because you can really be surprised and you will be by who likes you. So I think you can get tricked up if you have too many rules, mm -hmm. but you also need to have some, like you have to be clear about what some of your boundaries are. Um, like, I don't want to date people with small children. That's just going to be a disaster for me. Um, so I think in the beginning, I mean, it's one of the reasons I am such a fan of, of doing it online. So you can get lots of exposure to people because yeah particularly when you're just coming out of like a 25 year marriage or something mm -hmm. and you haven't dated in a million years, I think we have a lot of um, preconceived notions about who's going to be right for us and mm -hmm. what we really want. And we're not always right. You know, um, there's, you have to allow for a little bit of serendipity while also having some, some, some boundaries and some rules. So it's a little bit of a tricky balance. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Tell me, let's talk a little bit more about menopause and the impact with dating and attitudes towards it. We can talk about sex drives and hormone replacement and yeah. overall sex, sexual I, health. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think this is starting to change in our society, but there's obviously certainly long been a myth about the kind of dried up menopausal woman, right? Who's yep. no longer interested in sex. And mm -hmm. it is certainly true that lack of estrogen does dry us up a little in all ways, but there are obviously lots of ways we replenish it. So I would say menopause certainly can, for a lot of women, lead to a decrease in libido, but I have also met many, many, many hundreds of women in their late fifties and sixties who say that they're having the best sex of their lives. So oh, yeah. I really think, I mean, honestly, what I see a lot I don't know if you've ever read Wednesday Martin's book, Untrue. It's a really great, she's a social anthropologist and she wrote a book about women and infidelity where she basically argues and other people, Helen Fisher, lots of people have argued mm -hmm. that women actually need more um, 
variety, diversity sexually than men do, um, that women get bored more easily. So I think a lot of women who say they have no libido, like they just don't want to have sex with their partner, give them a new partner and they'll want to have sex and they'll figure out how to deal with the dryness or, you know, they'll use a vibrator or they'll do it, but they, the, the sex drive is there. They're often just bored and not getting great sex. Like that, I think is a, is a very real thing. The kind of the orgasm gap and lousy mm-hmm. sex and, um, so women want sex. They're also better um, generally at this age. I think we know what we want and we're not as afraid to ask for it. So given the right partner, I think there's a lot of potential for really great sex at our age. Um, you do have to get over the, the you know, if, if you're shy, like I'm thinking about the movie that just came out, you know, the Helen, uh, not Helen Mirren, Emma Thompson movie. Oh, I loved that. Oh my God. Good luck to you, Leo Grande. Yes. How great was that movie? It was brilliant. I cried at the end. I was so moved by it. I yeah. was really surprised. It was much better than I expected. I thought it would be like a silly romantic comedy. And mm-hmm. um, for those of you who haven't seen it, you know, it's about this woman in her 60s who's been with one man her whole life. She had a long time marriage with really lousy kind of perfunctory sex. She had never had an orgasm and mm-hmm. her husband is dead. She's a teacher, I think. Mm-hmm. And she hires a sex worker. She hires this young, handsome man who's like, work name is Leo Grande Mm -hmm. and they start meeting in hotel rooms and the movie it's almost done directed like a play like they're just basically in this hotel room um but there's a lot of really you know she ends up having an orgasm and having great sex although they have lots of sex where she doesn't come which is very realistic um and then there's this famous full body shot where she's nude and so there's Mm -hmm. it's generated a lot of talk about women and body image and getting older um but the, the confidence she gets from these experiences is, is completely apparent and it kind of wakes her up in a way that I think all of us can relate to. Um, so I think that there is, I, I, you know, over the last seven years since I've been doing Virginia Woolf and The Wolfer and Revel, I've, I've heard, you know, thousands and thousands of women talk about their sex life. So I feel very confident that there is endless potential for women sexually throughout our lives, like to the very end, but you have to have really good communication. You have to have a lot of openness. You may, you should probably be open to sex toys. You have to be, you know, use a lot of lubricant. Um, You have to talk to your doctor. If you, you know, I, I, I come across women a lot who have had long periods of not having sex Mm -hmm. in the 40s and 50s. And that can be a problem because you can really dry up, close up, have trouble with penetration. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my clients a couple of months ago and she's in her mid sixties and we were talking about vaginal dryness and she had, she felt embarrassed to talk to her doctor about it. Oh, and I was like, here's what you need to do. And she was so entering terrible. a new relationship. Yeah. It yes. is terrible. No, this is a real thing. In fact, mm-hmm. it's crazy, Lori. When, when we started, what would Virginia Woolf do in 2015? I was mm-hmm. 46 and I really didn't know what to expect from perimenopause. I mean, it was part of the reason mm-hmm. I started the group. Like I had no idea what was happening to me. And it was only, it was two years into the group. We probably had 20,000 members before I even heard about vaginal dryness. Like mm. I still didn't even know it was a thing until I was like 48 and right. someone posted and she said, I haven't had sex for five years because it's too painful. What do mm. I do? Mm. And it led us, like me, all of us down to this rabbit hole of finally being able to talk about it. And a lot of women started coming out. Yeah, it's a real thing. Your your estrogen decreases, your vagina gets drier. I use coconut oil and I'm also on HRT. Um, so I'm like fairly moist and okay. But also as mm-hmm. we get older, you have to use lots of lubricant. And um, 
yeah, if you don't pay attention to it, it can get worse and worse to a state where like women are afraid to have sex or it's just really too painful. I have a friend right now who is in her late fifties and has started dating someone after many years of only masturbating and not having intercourse and Mm -hmm. her partner's in his seventies. And she's been using a dilator and a dildo. Like she's been like really working on her vagina to kind of open it up and loosen it so that she can enjoy sex. Right. And there's even physical therapists who will do that with you. Yeah. In fact, with the dilators. Yep. There are physical therapists who will do it with you. There's a new company. Actually, we're doing a Revel event with them in September called Origins Mm -hmm. and they do physical therapy on Zoom, which I didn't even like vaginal physical Mm -hmm. therapy on Zoom. So, you know, they'll tell you what to buy. They'll work with you. I mean, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole world. I mean, there's, there's vaginal physical therapy for, for sexual issues. And then of course, there's all sorts of pelvic floor issues that women are through, right. And often need to do pelvic floor therapy for, um, people should not be embarrassed about this. I'm so glad to be talking about this. Um, Not be embarrassed about it. It's a part of your body and it needs to be handled properly. You don't ignore it it because it's the part that you hide when you're in a bathing suit. No, it's the most important part of a marriage. Yeah. So good. I mean, to the point that like, ED drugs, like Viagra ads are on subways and no one on yeah. subways is talking about vaginal dryness, right? No, this is a very real, and it's, it's, it's very real and it's very addressable. It's very fixable. Like this is totally. not cancer. This is like something That's right. that is normal that we can deal with. Right. And, you know, years back, um, I know the Women's Health Initiative, it talked about HRT um, leading to cancer risk. Yeah. Right. And so there so was a lot of women were, were then afraid of HRT or got off of it yeah. when in actuality, that wasn't exactly the case. And for people that did have a history of breast cancer or, or ovarian cancer in their families, there's other options. Like there's something called intrarosa that you could use that doesn't right. go into your bloodstream, just into the vaginal wall. Lining. Right. And, and even if you actually, I have a family history of breast cancer. My mom mm-hmm. died of breast cancer at 46. Yes. Family mm-hmm. history doesn't preclude you from using HRT. And we were all told it did. And I thought it did. So that famous study that was done 20 years ago that told everyone to be terrified of HRT has essentially been completely debunked. Now, if you have had cancer, you cannot go on HRT. And if you're over 60, they're more cautious about it. Mm-hmm. But for women in their late forties and into fifties, pretty much everyone is now saying it's probably the smartest thing to do. Um, and they think it may well also be preventative and helpful for things like Alzheimer's and um, mm-hmm. heart disease. And so all sorts of brain and, and, and heart issues and bone issues. They think if mm-hmm. HRT make, like I was just diagnosed with osteopenia, yeah. which is the precursor to osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. And they say that being on hormones should help with that. So mm-hmm. I resisted hormones for a long time because I was under the same impression that everyone else was. And my doctor yeah. kept saying you should go on it. And I finally went on them. Um, I'm on a low dose. I have a patch, an estradiol patch, and I take hundred milligrams of progesterone a day. And I've been doing mm-hmm. it since I was 50. And it's amazing. I have to say, I sleep really well. I feel physically great. Um, and I was not feeling at all great in my late forties. Right. And also testosterone for women is also a great thing. Yeah. Do you do testosterone? I do. Yeah. You do. Awesome. Absolutely. I want to hear more about it. So testosterone, yeah. as far as I understand, is still a little more controversial, but I am mm-hmm. super, super interested in it. So do you do the pellets? I don't. Oh my God. The pellets drove me crazy. I'll be honest with you. I just okay. do like the cream. 
This is, I'm getting so personal now with my audience. I never thought I'd have this conversation. That's what what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe maybe this will help somebody. So it helps women for sure. We need to talk about this. Where do you testosterone cream? You just, you put it like on your stomach or, you know, on your thigh and you get it from a compound pharmacy. And how often do you do it? And what? Twice a day. You like turn the dial twice and you you roll it on twice a day. And you notice it sexually. It It improves your orgasm. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. Cause so, so my, my HRT has totally helped me in lots of ways and I yeah. still totally like to have sex and want to have sex and orgasm, but I will say the quality of my orgasms and the ease of having them has decreased for sure for me. Um, so I can try it. <laughs> yeah, I really should. Um, I've yeah. interviewed a bunch of gynecologists about it and mm-hmm they're so divided, right? Some say it's the best thing ever and you must do it. And some think it's really dangerous. Um, My current gynecologist is a little bit young and has not gone through menopause and she's very Mm anti-testosterone. So I've been kind of back and forth about it. So I'm really glad to hear this from you. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if it, let's put it this way, if, if it's decreasing your ability to have an orgasm, you, you know, you don't want to live without that. You don't so, want to live without that no. at all. I mean, that's so, not a way to live. Yeah. No. So what did the pellets do for you? Oh my God. They, they drove me crazy. Everyone, I, like, you I went, know, pellets, you inject these pellets in your butt, yeah. right? And yeah. um, it's, it's another way of delivering testosterone. And again, yeah, it was too intense for me. I was like bouncing off the walls for me. It was not a good idea. And then you got to wait until it like dissolves in your body. So that was not a good thing for me personally. Did you have amazing <laughs> orgasms while you were on it? <laughs> Oh, I'm trying to remember. It's been several years. Okay. I just remember like my brain did not do well on it. That's the bottom line. It just went a little haywire. Yeah. It wasn't a good thing for me. All right. Well, that's yeah. really helpful mm-hmm. for me to know though about the yeah. brain. That may be, yeah. did you notice increased hair or anything like that? Uh, not so much. Okay. No, that's been okay. And you know, we can deal with hair. Yeah. We can totally right? deal with hair. Yeah. yeah. If you can have a better orgasm, you know, you can. No, I'm inspired. You You're right. Be. I should definitely, definitely try this. You should. And so I'm glad we're having this conversation because hopefully it'll help somebody else. And some women and, are yeah. also saying that um, so estradiol cream, vaginal estrogen, which you referred to a minute before. So for people who can't be on HRT, mm-hmm. um, topical estrogen is still considered completely safe and doesn't enter the bloodstream. And that's, you know, vaginal estrogen that you put in your vagina, which can help with dryness. But people are also starting to tell me that vaginal estrogen, if you put on your, like on the exterior of your vagina, like in your vulva can help with orgasms. I have heard that that's not a great idea because it can rub off on your partner Mm. and that could lead to your partner having issues. Oh, interesting. So do some, yeah, we need to do a little yeah, bit I've more research Yeah, I've never tried it. I've been, that. we're working with um, yeah. Al- Alloy, the telemed company is one of our partners uh-huh. at Revel, and we really love them. And it's a great place to go online to get HRT. And mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with one of their experts about it, but yeah, it does not seem, I actually asked my gynecologist and she was like, no. So, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the problems is for women that we are in a little bit of unknown territory with all this stuff and not totally. enough research has been done. And yeah. And people aren't talking about it enough. And people aren't so, talking about it enough. Yeah. Figure it out. So let's talk about this. So you're, let's say um, someone that's listening is having issues in their marriage. They want to shake things up. They want to, they're bored with their sex life. What do you recommend that they do to spice it up? 
Oh, well, we run on Revel something called the Monday Night Sex Chat um, mm-hmm. once a week. It may go to once a month in the fall. We're not sure, but it's a very open group conversation on Zoom where women show up and we talk about sexual subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a constant subject, right, of how do people shake things up? Yeah. And there are a lot of different answers for different people. For some people, it's polyamory. I mean, increasingly, I hear a lot of women talking about opening up their relationships and they they often do it as a couple. So they go mm-hmm. on websites um, and find other couples. I have not done this, but this is, mm-hmm. my boyfriend teases me and says like, these things are more unusual than I make them out to be and that I'm in a self-selecting community. But I don't think that's true. I think that there are a lot of people who are opening up their relationships. And in fact, in the George Eliot biography I'm reading right now, people were doing it in 1850 as well. <laughs> so this is not news. Um, But uh, so that's a kind of maybe extreme or not version of what people can do if your partner's on board. Um, If not, I mean, certainly basic things like reading erotica, watching porn, um, listening. There are a lot of good like podcasts now, erotic podcasts that can kind of get you in the mood. Mm -hmm. Buying lingerie, introducing sex toys, taking your partner to a sex toy shop and playing with toys together. You know, a lot of people, there's such a range, like everything for how adventurous people are, right? There are people for whom the idea of introducing a vibrator in bed seems like scandalous and weird. And then there are people who are psyched to go to a sex club. So you have to kind of know yourself and know your partner and think, you know, be willing, I guess, be courageous enough to talk about what your fantasies are and what would make it more exciting for you. Because sometimes it's just about, like, I have a friend who got really active talking in bed with her partner. Like they Mm -hmm. didn't use another couple, but they started pretending they'd introduced another couple. Um, Mm. And they started kind of using to me like like using sexual jealousy stories to make their sex life hotter like it's so different for everyone Hmm. right or I have another friend who um she and her husband have started doing a lot of role play Mm -hmm. you know he's a masseuse he pretends he's and they've been married for 30 years and that's what has spiced things up for them um you know to have that conversation I think is the tough part when you've been just going a long life and you're you've sort of fallen into this traditional, you know, male, female, let's, let's say, you know, or, I mean, I'm sure in the, in the gay community as well, people get bored. Totally. <laughs> Obviously. I mean, Actually, it's anyone. So how do you have those conversations? Yeah. How do you have those conversations with your partner? Like, Hey, hon, you know, we need to like spice things up. I'm not happy. Yeah. So, well, it's you know, essential, right. Cause if you're not yeah. happy, eventually you'll go elsewhere or you'll, you know, whatever you'll yeah. just be unhappy and resentful. Actually, there was a great couple in Monday night sex chat, a woman in the rebel community who I've known for a while now. I was so impressed with her and impressed that she even shared this story. She's been married for like 35 years. She had never had satisfying sex with her husband who she really loved mm-hmm. and very hard to do this after like 30 years. She basically finally told him like five years ago, I have never had an orgasm with you. I have pretended for years to enjoy wow. with you and I have not. And we need to change it because I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And he took it. I mean, a, a, amazing story. And they started, you know, using toys and using books and playing around. And, you know, I don't know if it's the best sex of anyone's life now, but they mm-hmm. are having a very different sex life because um, yeah. she insisted so that's great yeah um yeah and then people I mean I've met people who like start going to like nudist colonies and you know there's there's anything you can imagine sexually people do you have to be able to talk about it 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of these situations sound extreme to most of the people that are probably listening, like, you know, bringing in somebody into their marriage, an open marriage, nudist colony. It's where most of us are like, yeah, that's not for me. Most of us, it's true. But even being able to, I I think you're right. And for me too, like, I'm not going to nudist colonies and I'm not having sex with multiple people. Um, But to be able to talk about it and think about it and know that it's not, it's not crazy. I mean, honestly, you definitely, Lori, know people in your community who are having sex with strangers. Like it is, people are doing it. Like they're just telling you about it, right? That's right. I think knowing that it's normal and that there's a wide variety of what people do and want is very reassuring to people because I'm sure a lot of the people listening here have desires that are going unaddressed and unexpressed. And, um, there's a lot more out there that's common than you think it is. Yeah, fascinating. And a lot of people do talk about it on your platform. So and that's what I love about it. On your platform. Yeah, and really so certainly like for people who are just wanting to dip their toe and stuff, I'd say like 101, try a vibrator. If you've never tried a vibrator or try masturbating with your partner, that's mm-hmm. something that I think some people think is weird and it's very, very, very common and very satisfying for a lot of people because a lot of women aren't having good orgasms and they know how to do it on their own and they're not doing it with their partner. And I mean, again, that's a hard conversation to have. It's not like, you know, Hey honey, I, I want to you know show you how I can come, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it was actually in, it was funny, you know, in the remake of sex in the city, as you, mm-hmm. what was it called? As you like it No. I can't remember what it was called, um, but the first episode, Sarah Jessica Parker with Mr. Big, they're, they're yeah. now long, long married. She asks him to masturbate in front of her. It was super awkward because that whole show was just done badly, um, but it was also a good, I was impressed that they did it because that that is something that people do, that people don't talk about, that they should yeah. talk about, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. So. So let's talk about you and your journey to love. So you were previously married and divorced. You've got four kids. Was it the same father for all four kids? Same father for all okay. four kids. So I, my funny secret is that I've actually been married three times, but my first marriage was actually just a green card marriage to a okay. boyfriend. So that was not really a real marriage. Um, we did it so he could get a green card and come here. But then I was married to the father of my four kids um, okay. from 23 to 38 or so. So for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I was single and I did like online dating and had a, had a couple serious boyfriends, like three or four year relationships. Didn't think I wanted to get married again. And then when I was around 45, I met a man I wanted to marry. It was a little mm-hmm. misguided in retrospect, but it was a very sexy relationship. And, um, and we got married quickly within a year and then got divorced quickly within a few years. Um, so what happened there? Well, I don't want to, he was, he was, uh, he had a very bad temper and a drinking okay. problem and, okay. it was, but it was a super hot relationship. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, so we divorced quickly. I think I was mm-hmm. 48 by the time when I got my official second divorce. Okay. Um, and then I, spent a year. I went to LA. I traveled for a little while. I had a couple like little inconsequential boyfriends. And then I came back to New York because I was an empty nester at this point. Mm-hmm. And I met on match.com. So a y- less than a year after I split up from the bad second husband, mm-hmm. um, I met my current partner who is super, super lovely. Um, and we met on match.com and we've been together for four years. 
And I'm very, very happy. I have, and there's so many lessons in getting older, but I do feel like, like I had a very difficult father who didn't really love me and my parents were divorced and, um, and I had a, like many of us, just a complicated childhood and I, and I did, and a lot of men who have been really disappointing. So I think it's been a hard path for me to find a healthy relationship. And I feel lucky that I've had all this opportunity to all this kind of trial and error. Cause I really am much better at it. Now I have a good relationship now. Have you, I'm so happy for you. Did you, have you had a lot of therapy? Like how did you, how were you able a to, of get to those higher levels of understanding? Yeah. I think all through my forties, let's see from my, from my divorce to my, the father of my kids. So from 38 to really 48 for 10 years, I was in a lot of therapy mm-hmm. and I did get very lucky. I found someone really great who I often interview actually on Revel. Her name is Debbie Maggots. And mm-hmm. I, really do feel like she kind of saved my life. I had had therapists when I was younger, after my mom died in my twenties. Um, but I had never really clicked with someone. And, you know, now that I'm in a, I'm in my fifties and I'm watching my kids in their twenties, mm-hmm. it's such a long road, right? Being in your twenties is hard. And I, so I don't know whether I didn't find the right person or whether I just wasn't really ready until my late thirties to really try and heal myself. Yeah. Um, and then I was also lucky that I had like financial resources to do it. There was a period I was in therapy three times a week for a couple of years. So I did a lot of therapy. Yeah. Um, and then I also did this, um, this whole other professional process. My mother was a writer who died when I was young. And in my thirties and forties, I went back and, um, kind of resurrected her career. Her name is Kathleen Collins and mm-hmm. um, she's now become sort of famous. And that process was incredibly healing in terms of my relationship to my childhood. So I think on top of the therapy I had done, that really helped. Um, so yeah, I mean, I do, it's kind of amazing to feel, to see how much um, potential for growth we have. Like I I was a very unhappy person in my 20s and 30s and and had a lot of anger and just a lot of complicated stuff from growing up that I feel is fairly resolved, which is really nice. Right. Yeah. So it makes right. me much better able to be in a loving relationship. I have better boundaries now. I mean, you know, of course at this age, I was just trying to think like, well, I'm not perfect. What do I have to work on? I mean, we are who we are, right? So the right. issues like I now like I'm I'm super a control freak and I really like my independence. So there are things mm-hmm. that make it hard to be in a relationship with me. Um, I'm very autonomous, et cetera, et cetera. But I do feel much, much happier in my life. And you live separately from your boyfriend? We, we do live separately. Okay. And yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. Like this trend right now for living apart together. And you read about a lot of women, people now in relationships in their fifties and sixties and seventies who don't necessarily want to live together. And I'm, I'm not sure completely where I fall on this spectrum, but I can really see the appeal now of not ever living with anyone again. Like I'm financially independent. I Mm -hmm. really, really value my space. I'm finally comfortable being alone in a way I never was when I was younger. Um, I have kids. He has kids. Blended families are complicated. Yes. Um, Blending money is complicated. I mean, look, you Mm -hmm. can always, you can think there there are a million ways to live and I'm not ruling out that I won't change my mind or I won't end up wanting to bring it all together. But I think there is a trend among women our age. I mean, a lot of women, if you ask a hundred women right now, Mm -hmm. I I know because I've done this online, 
you know, if your current partner died or you were suddenly widowed, would you marry again? And most of them say, no, most of them say I would never live with a man again. So mm-hmm. there's this, again, a little bit, one of these myths that like, it's always women who want to get married. The truth is, as we get older, it's much more men who want to get married again. Women. Interesting often say that they wouldn't want to they may not be being honest with themselves or they may change their mind or they may change their mind later but i think for women as we get older there's more and more of a feeling of like i'm not sure it's the best deal for us like we end up doing more of the emotional labor more of the physical labor around the house hmm. i think you know a lot of people women often are at a financial disadvantage in relationships so money can be a real motivator for living together or getting married yeah. which is very real right it costs yeah. less if you share expenses like i don't i get that but if you don't have to do that um it becomes a little more of a question yeah we have options now many yeah. women do and many women do as really in the past great. we did not yeah i mean i often think the best scenario would be like two houses side by side you know some <laughs> of it is like like I've been alone the last couple of days. My boyfriend's coming back tomorrow and I'm just really grateful that I've gotten to a point in my life where I can be happy alone. Mm. Um, I think women are, we're sold a lot, you know, like the whole romantic fantasy is a bit of a myth that we're totally sold when we're young. And I think it takes us a long time to figure out our relationship to that. Like the, the whole, you know, perfect man, white picket fence, like that's a myth. Yeah, it is a myth. And um, you need to keep working on your marriages. You yeah. need to keep working on those partnerships. It's just, Absolutely. It's, it's, otherwise, it's, they're going to die on the vine. They're going to die on the vine. Mm. And it's a lot of work. And it's a wonderful thing to have a great relationship. I'm not, it's wonderful, but mm-hmm. a relationship is never going to be the solution, right? You mm-hmm. really have to work on yourself and feel good about yourself. And also, ultimately we are all alone and women end up alone. Men die first. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're not comfortable being alone, like you need to look at that because, you know. And sometimes you can't really look at it until you are alone. Right. It's like, you know, in theory, you think, oh, I'll be okay, but you don't really know until right. and, and, it and happens. It, right. And it's a real gift when mm-hmm. you realize, like I look at my boyfriend's mother is a real inspiration. She's, um, her name is Diana and she's 91 and she was widowed in her thirties and never mm-hmm. remarried, had different partners, but never remarried. Mm-hmm. But she lives now in an assisted living facility in Kansas. And she's really smart. She was a writer and worked in public health. And she just reads all day long and lives with her cat. And she's happy on her own. Like she's had a really fulfilling, rich life and she's happy as an older woman by herself. And yeah. I think that that's important. That's a goal. Yeah, it's totally a goal. Um, all right, well, let's wrap it up. But I want to ask you what your favorite charity is. Um, and we'll put it in the show notes so people can Oh, that's such contribute. a lovely thing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a lifelong library lover and I'm actually the board chair of the Brooklyn Public Library after like 15 mm-hmm. years on the board there. And I think um, it brings together a lot of my passions, kind of literacy, reading, community, um, the need for, um, you know, libraries are really our last democratic institution in America. They're super essential and need support. I, I read in a book somewhere, this horrible concept of a book by a sociologist um, called Palaces for the People. And he said, he posited that libraries, you know, library, Carnegie built all these free libraries all over America. And um, 
no one would do that today. Like billionaire oh. industrialists would not create free institutions for learning today. That would just not happen. Um, so we need to hold on to our libraries and support them because they, they struggle and they need money and they're really important. Wonderful. So how can we find you? Um, you can social. find me everywhere. So Nina mm-hmm. Lorez Collins on Instagram. Um, Revel is the great platform that I work for and merged with the Wolfer. It's www.hellorevel.com. We're a community for women in the second half of life um, where you can create events and attend events and write in groups like on Facebook. It's, it's a really fabulous place. So that's hellorevel.com. Um, and Revel is on all the usual places, Instagram and Facebook. And then we have a place on Facebook called the Wolfer Annex. So we're all over. You can find me anywhere. Fabulous. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been yeah, a really pleasure. Fun. Really nice conversation, Lori, and I'm psyched to hang out with you in Mexico. Yes, with the Matchmakers Alliance in November. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> really fun. All right. Have Bye. a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to Love on the Go. I hope you join us on our next episode. You can make sure to know when it is by following us wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you enjoyed it, it'd be great if you left us a review. I'd appreciate it. In the meantime, to learn more about me and how my team can help you, visit carolinasmatchmaker.com. Until next time.